Hello and welcome to this episode of Women in Finance podcast. If you're new to the show, I hope you remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any new episode. My guest today is Lai Zong Man. She is a senior investment professional at CIM Alternatives, a partner-led investment management firm focused on alternative assets and headquartered in Cologne, Germany. With over 4.5 billion euro in assets under management and a team of 40, CIM Alternatives offers a range of products from commingled funds to bespoke solutions. In our conversation, Laison gives an insight into the firm's investment philosophy and speaks about how both emerging and established fund investments are evaluated. We also talk about personal and professional lessons learned and Laison provides some excellent reading recommendations. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Laison. Hi there, Lai Zong. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Andrea. My pleasure. Very happy to be here. Let's start with your background and how you made your way to the world of finance. Sure. So I have a Chinese background, but was born and raised in Frankfurt and now live in Cologne with my two boys. They are five and eight years old. And during my university years, I recognized that I enjoy working with numbers and I also wanted to work in an international environment. So I completed multiple internships in the finance space, M&A, corporate finance and auditing. And at the end of my studies, I thought it's interesting to get to know how companies are steered uh, internally and started a rotational finance program at Bayer and worked there for a couple of years. But over time, I figured I prefer working in a smaller, more entrepreneurial environment. And also, I've always been passionate about investments and was attracted to private equity in particular. And therefore, I decided to join the investment firm CAM Alternatives. It's a leading German player in the private equity equity fund of funds field and I've been working there now for over 14 years. Can you speak a bit more about your experience at Bayer? So how long were you there and How did your role prepare you for your current role at CAM? Sure. So I've worked for Bayer more than three years. I think it was three and a half years. And I think it definitely helped me to understand how a company is steered, how it is managed. So how budgets are made, how forecasts are made and how important reporting can be. Yeah, what key performance indicators can be important to steer a company. This experience really helped me in my work here with CAM. When I talk with CEOs of portfolio companies, I understand what are their concerns when they monitor their companies. So I would say all in all, very helpful and valuable experience. I'd also like to spend a few minutes on your cultural heritage. Can you speak more about that and how you balance this with growing up in Germany, being born in Frankfurt? I grew up bilingually, so I speak Chinese at home and I had to learn German in, in kindergarten when I was three years old. Over time, I've recognized that it's an advantage that I was raised within two cultures. I think it has definitely helped me to become more tolerant and also flexible because the Asian and Western cultures, they are quite different. And uh, I think I get along quite well in both worlds. And for my private life, I've adopted a lot of Chinese traditions. So for instance, with respect to food or the festivals or even in medicine. But all in all, I think that I think more Western as I was raised here, went to school here and have more German friends. Professionally, I think my dual 
culture background has helped me to cope with professionals differently as when you speak their language, you get to know more than nuances sometimes. This is what I can say. Coming back to Bayer and particularly the bridge between Bayer and, and CIM. So back then, how did the change come about? Were you looking to get more into private equity and, and investing? As I mentioned, I've always been passionate about investments and in financial controlling, I felt that my learning curve wasn't that steep anymore. So that's I wanted to have a change. And also, I mean, Bayer is a very large company and I think I suit better in a smaller, more entrepreneurial environment. That's why I was actively seeking for a change and a position in the private equity world. And that's where I landed at a CAM, which is a private equity fund of fund manager. And I think it's a good space where you get exposure to a lot of industries, to a lot of interesting people, and it's quite international as well. So I think it's a great space to combine all these different aspects, which were important for me. Based on your experience with Bayer, are healthcare-focused strategies still closer to you than more agnostic strategies? Or do, did you tend to, to gravitate from that away over time? I think I've definitely become more sector agnostic um, as I've covered different areas within CEM over time. So for instance, I like very much the tech space and used to cover our European and Israeli VC funds for some time. So this has been very fascinating and it's great to see that Europe has attracted a lot of global investors over time and has really developed its tech ecosystem. Having said this, I also like the healthcare space still very much. Uh, it's one of the sectors where you see, I think, most disruptions currently in the market and especially in digitalization. We see also through COVID that digital health becomes more and more important as you see in telemedicine or mobile health or in the tech space. Also, the genomic space is quite fascinating. So when you see that there are tailor-made gene-based treatments for diseases uh, that are currently developed and emerging, and what I also very much like is that there are a lot of research ongoing in terms of longevity. So to find preventive measures and personalized treatments with which you can extend the life periods. So to answer your question, I've definitely become broader, but still like the healthcare space very much. Speaking a bit more about CAM, can you give us just a bit more background on the history of the firm and maybe a little bit more color around the strategies? CAM is a partner-led investment manager for alternative assets. We are headquartered in Cologne. We manage investor commitments of around 4.5 billion euros and have more than 40 professionals. And besides multi-investor funds, we, we also offer managed account solutions that are tailor-made for investment requirements of our clients. We invest into private equity and infrastructure funds, both in primary and secondary situations. And we also do co-investment in terms of region. We invest mainly in Europe and North America and selectively also in Asia. If you look at our client base, these are mainly institutional investors, such as insurance companies, financial institutions and pension funds, and also family offices. If you were asking about the 
products we offer. So we have commingled funder funds that invest into private equity funds. And these funds themselves provide capital for portfolio companies. So the private equity managers that we invest into typically help to transform their portfolio companies through different value creation strategies. For instance, they help to grow their portfolio companies, be it through a buy and build strategy or through organic growth. They typically sell the companies after four to six years. And I think yeah, a private equity funder fund is a terrific thing for an investor because you can get exposure to, say, on average 15 funds and they themselves invest into at least 10 companies. So you can easily get the diversification into at least 150 companies through one commitment only and the probability of a loss overall is very minimal. I think the great thing is also that you get exposure to smaller mid-market companies which are not public. So this is what I can say about CAM and our products. How do you think about the geographic split? So you mentioned you invest in mostly Europe and North America, but also Asia. Can you speak more about that? And also, do you look to match Europe and North America exposure? Or is it more like searching for the best risk return profiles? This uh, depends a little bit on the product. So if I talk about our commingled funder fund, we typically have limits that we determine at the beginning when we set up or construct the product. For our commingled funder fund, we have a stronger weightage for Europe, but also quite a significant portion in North America, whereas Asia plays less significant role. In the past, we used to have more Asian commitments, but they were also still only like 10 to 15 percent. But we figured over time that we like the risk return profiles of the European and North American funds more. That's why we now significantly underweight Asia for our fund of funds. In terms of our managed account, it differs in terms of preference for regions. So some really look at absolute returns and are quite agnostic in terms of whether it's a European or North American fund. Of course, we have currency restrictions. So sometimes the managed accounts want to have more dollar exposure, then we switch a little bit. So we have to differentiate from product point of view, which region we overweight or underweight. But generally, we have a strong focus or Europe and North America. Staying just a bit more with the commingled fund, can you speak about portfolio construction? So you mentioned that uh, on average there would be 15 investments maybe. Would this be 15 different fund managers or you would also invest in multiple fund generations of one fund manager? We invest into 15 to 20 fund managers on average and we try to increased diversification through committing to different fund managers. But uh, in recent years, we've seen that especially attractive fund managers have deployed capital quite quickly so that they came back to market with the next fund after two to three years. And so sometimes we, we face this problem of deciding whether to invest into two funds of one fund manager out of one product. I think for our current 
commingled funder fund, this is currently less of an issue as we had our first closing and we didn't have this case yet. But it, of course, it may come. And I think we need to decide then on a case by case basis, because in general, we like to re-up with a fund manager with whom we've made good experience and where we don't see any deal killers for the future. So you, you really need to decide then on a case by case basis. But I think out of 15 to 20 funds, this will be rather an exception than the rule that we commit into multiple funds of one fund manager. We talked a bit about geography and fund manager diversification, but how about sectors? So would you have more sector-focused strategies like healthcare or industrials or maybe technology? Or would you look for more generalist type of strategies? In general, sector agnostic, I would say. So we have some smaller products that are sector-focused. For instance, we've raised and invested two healthcare-dedicated funder funds. We also have invested one tech-focused funder fund, which was in the venture capital space, whereas the healthcare funder fund has both life science funds and buyout funds. But our commingled funder fund and our managed accounts are typically sector-agnostic. And we invest into generalists, but also into sector-specific funds out of these two product groups. So I think we also decide on a case-by-case -case basis with regard to, to sector. There are great sector specialists that we've backed, but you also see generalists that have done very well. So you, you will have a good mixture of both in, in our products. How about your specific role and area of responsibility within all these strategies? Can you speak a bit more about that? I'm in the investment team of CAM and my job is to find attractive investment opportunities in the markets I cover, which at the moment includes our buyout funds in France and in North America. And I also take care of the European and Israeli life science sector. I think what is important to know is that there's a wide dispersion in returns in private equity. So that's why we really need to select investments very carefully. So we typically only commit into one 1% of all the deal flow that we get and many of these funds are access constrained and uh, it really helps that we as an organization already over 20 years in business and have committed to over 250 funds. So in terms of sourcing, we, we get a lot of inbound investment opportunities, but we also look at relevant magazines and databases and get a lot of recommendations through our network. Then we screen pitch books and organize calls or video conferences with the fund managers and typically write short memos to introduce and discuss investment opportunities within our investment team whenever we consider a fund more attractive. In the course of the process, we request more information from the fund managers and interact more often and also analyze a lot of external information to get a clearer picture on the investment opportunity. And we look at the investment strategy, the team setup and the track record and just want to see whether all these elements match together. We do also a lot of reference checks uh, with different stakeholders, with management teams of the portfolio companies, with existing investors or co-investors, advisors to get a better picture rather than just relying on the information provided in the data rooms of the fund managers. We have very detailed documentation, so we differentiate between flash memos at the beginning of the 
process and then produce preliminary and final investment memos. The final documentations are then the basis of the discussions within the broader team and also with the investment committee. And once a fund commitment is made, we closely monitor the funds. So we look at how the portfolio is built and whether the fund manager sticks to the investment strategy and also serve on advisory boards and look at potential conflicts of interests. I'd like to unpack the areas you focus on during your process. So you mentioned the team, the strategy, of course, track record and so on. Can you speak just a bit more about what exactly you look for in each of these areas? We generally look at the team, the track record and the investment strategy. We try to find clear links between these three components. So in essence, we are looking for indicators that the prior success of a fund can be replicated going forward. So the questions that we pose and need to answer is how strong and cohesive is the team? Do the team members have their personal funds at stake in the partnership so that they can show alignment of interests between themselves and the investors? What is also interesting to us is whether the fund manager has a differentiated investment strategy and what the sources of value creation are. We also look at the track record, does the potential return fit with our tolerance for risk? And we look at how previous funds have performed and who is responsible for the past performance. Is it the current team or where leave us responsible for this? And how is the exit focus? Because there are some managers that do quite well, but take quite a significant time to sell their portfolio. And we want to make sure that our investors get distributions also early on. And some GPs have transitions in management over time and it's our job to recognize when a leading fund may have lost its edge. We also look at emerging managers because data shows that they offer superior returns. So apart from establishing a core portfolio around fund managers with a very substantiated track record, we also try to diversify our portfolios with some emerging managers that raise their first or second fund and are typically more hungry for success. How does the process change when it comes to emerging managers, if at all? What I can think of is that the track record might be shorter or not necessarily relevant. So can you speak a bit more about how you approach or modify the investment process when it comes to emerging managers? Yeah, good question. I think in general, we pursue the same due diligence as for more established ones, but need to pay more attention to some aspects. So for emerging managers, I think reference checks play a greater role. So you want to make sure you understand the team dynamics and how cohesive the team is, as sometimes team members who have worked together out of different teams are put together. You also need to go an extra mile in verifying the track record, which may oftentimes be to a larger extent unrealized. Another factor is deal attribution. I mean, we check deal attribution also for established funds, but sometimes you have emerging managers that don't have the authorization of the prior team to show their track record. And then we need to speak with prior co-investors or CEOs of portfolio companies and the like to assess what part the emerging manager has played. It's also essential to investigate whether the team has done any cherry picking for the deals they present as representative. What is also important is to check 
affect the availability of deal flow because the deal team members of an emerging manager, they do not operate under an existing brand anymore. So we need to see will they still be able to attract attractive deals uh, under the new brand. Also, what comes to my mind is that uh, the back office and reporting standards sometimes less developed because oftentimes the emerging managers save time on this at the beginning and maybe go for a part-time CFO first. And we need to check whether the emerging manager can fulfill our standards in this regard. I think in the end, the main question is whether we believe that the additional return the emerging manager may generate justifies the additional risk we have to take. Do you have any diversity or maybe more broadly ESG lens you use in evaluating managers? In general, studies show that IC teams that are gender diverse deliver better returns than male-only teams. So that's why we have definitely put a stronger focus into this uh, in, in the recent years. So a fund manager with lower diversity can contribute to a lower overall ESG score uh, within CIM. That itself wouldn't stop a commitment. But nevertheless, a low ESG score in general has led to instances where we decided not to make a commitment to a fund, although the performance and reputation of the manager was quite good. So to answer your question, I think definitely that we take diversity into consideration in our investment process. So did you develop the ESG score internally? And then do you also engage with the manager on ESG or diversity topics? When we make a due diligence on a fund manager, we have a quite detailed questionnaire that the fund manager needs to fill out. It covers not only diversity factors, but also environmental factors or governance issues. So all three aspects. Yeah, it takes into consideration how sector diversification, regional diversification, and whether a fund manager invests into sectors that are not ESG compliant. So all these factors are taken into account and then a score is derived. And this uh, is also documented in our investment memo and also pre-discussed with the fund manager. Usually we try to negotiate in the side letters with the fund managers that we get a sufficient reporting on the ESG development of a fund manager so that we get informed whenever there are ESG incidents and need to be reported, but also we insist on regular ESG reporting so that we ourselves can also aggregate information for our investors with regard to ESG. Has there been a case where you decided not to re-up or maybe terminate a relationship just based on ESG grounds? Yeah, uh, as I uh, indicated before, so actually there were one or two instances, I think in the last 12 months, where we in fact really rejected a fund that we've known very long and well and have made good experiences with because they haven't put any emphasis on ESG. So that's why this was actually the deal killer, although the performance was quite good and the team setup was okay. So yeah, I would say we've become quite rigid about this. So looking back at the past year or so, 
How did COVID shape your view or your process, if in any way? So at the beginning, of course, we focused more on monitoring our portfolio and were more hesitant to make new commitments when the first lockdown started last year. And we had to get used to communicating, not personally, but via video conferences or calls. But then over time, COVID has not stopped us from making further commitments. We've generally been more cautious, but uh, made substantial use of video conferences to do our due diligence work. We had a lot of reappositions, so I think this made it easier as we already knew the teams. In general, I think we now pay more attention to whether a fund manager is experienced enough to cope with the changed market environment. And we really ask ourselves who is experienced to adapt the business models of its portfolio and look more into the liquidity situations of the portfolio companies. So I would say this is the main change that I currently see. One of the challenges I can think of for the fund of funds model is the fact that you have to balance or even match the fund lives of the underlying fund investments with the fund life of the commingled fund. So can you share your thoughts on this and what happens after 10 years? Let's say you still have underlying funds which are not dissolved and your own commingled fund is running out of time. So typically you always have some remaining fund positions after 10 years or 12 years. And we, we need to decide then on a case-by-case basis how to proceed, whether to seek for a secondary position or sale or to hold the position due to the upside potential of the portfolio. And generally we try to minimize such situations, having a very strong focus on early distributions and a strong exit focus of the fund managers. But I think generally you cannot avoid that you have this after 10 or 12 years. And that's why we really decide on a case-by-case basis. Coming back to your area of expertise and your current focus, can you contrast like at very high level the different managers you focus on in each of the geographies you mentioned and also whether you would have some high level remarks in terms of how these managers operate, like would they be more sophisticated in one part versus the other part of the world? Generally, I think the the U.S. private equity market is more mature. So for instance, you can see more sector-focused funds in the U.S. And this trend has been copied now also in Europe, for instance, in the healthcare or financial services space, as the U.S. sector-focused funds have done very well. My impression is that you generally see that the U.S. private equity managers are maybe even more proactive in terms of value creation, so more advanced. For instance, there are fund managers that have very systematic talent management teams in place and are very fast in making management changes and focus very much on margins and portfolio companies and extremely fast in executing add-ons. It's not that you don't see this in Europe, but it seems that it's just maybe even more sophisticated or that implementation is much faster 
sector in, in the US. On the other hand, in the US, generally, we have seen a greater usage of leverage, but also the exit focus was stronger. And the terms are also more aggressive, I think, generally in the US, so maybe less LP friendly. These are the main differences that come to my mind now when I compare the two regions. Maybe circling back to our discussion about emerging managers, do you tend to see more emerging managers in one part of the world versus the other? Or how do you map emerging managers as a focus with the geographies you operate in? I think in both regions, you see emerging managers. In the US, it's just the size of the market that is an extremely large market with thousands of fund managers. That's why every day there are emerging managers that are new in the market. And in Europe, if you look at the numbers, it's smaller, but still we see enough players in this field. And especially in venture capital, my impression is that in the last two years, it's just been like crazy that you've seen a lot of people jumping on this train, maybe due to the success that a lot of startups have achieved over time. And it's just incredible how large this universe has become. Does it worry you in terms of potential returns or do you think it's not yet overcrowded? I think it's quite crowded, actually, uh, if you look at the number of fund managers, but you see in the fundraising that not all of them are successful. So I think it's not easy for them to raise a fund. For us as a fund or fund manager, yeah, it's definitely more work to find the pearls within the pond. It may deteriorate the average returns, but on the other hand, there may also be a higher number of high quality fund managers Speaking about some lessons learned, so on the professional side, can you think of some examples of lessons learned, maybe related to investments? I, I think in general, this is a very important element that you need to look at as a fund manager or fund of fund manager. So we regularly analyze lessons learned as part of our monitoring process and always want to improve our processes to get better investment decisions. And what we learned over time is in the end, it often boils down to team issues where we've learned to check in particular the likelihood of hubris or lack of alignment of interest. I would say that thanks to our long-standing experience and the fine-tuned processes over time, we've been able to keep the ratio of funds that are significantly underperforming very low. It's an ongoing process that you always need to look back and see what could you have seen better and further fine-tune our work. And on the personal side, what are some lessons learned or some things you know now you wish you knew earlier in your journey? I've now been with CIM for 14 years, so it has been a long time. And I think one thing that is really important, what I learned, is that communication really matters to achieve your goal. It's important to look for win-win situations for both parties. And my experience showed me that within a team, it's often useful to be more collaborative. And in this way, you can achieve a project much faster and better. Also, I think I've learned to look in the mirror first when something goes wrong. So I think it's good to seek responsibility. Um, actually, there's this great book, Extreme Ownership, written by two Navy officers. 
officers who led special operations in the Iraq war. And they say the ego must be in check at all times and we must operate with a high degree of humility instead of avoiding it, accept extreme ownership for both success and failure. I would say that these two lessons helped me now over the last years to achieve outcomes maybe better or faster. What are some skills you think are crucial or are valuable to being a successful alternatives investor or a private equity fund investor? I think, first of all, it's very important that you are open-minded because what I've seen is that the landscape of attractive fund managers has changed significantly. So for instance, if you look at the fund managers in France 14 years ago, it has completely changed. A lot of established managers that used to head the ranking tables play a less significant role than emerging managers that popped up and did very well. So I think open-mindedness and then experience definitely helps to make good investment decisions. As I mentioned, we have committed to over 250 funds and our team has over 20 years experience in this business. So I think only through experiences and discussions and also lessons learned, you can make better investment decisions. Lastly, I think uh, it's also rigorous investment processes that help you to just have a strict frame that you follow and don't forget any significant aspects and make your analysis and don't forget anything. So I think these three aspects are very important to make good investment decisions in the private equity space. So you mentioned extreme ownership before, but are there, apart from this, are there any other book recommendations you would have or maybe books you you recommended to your friends multiple times? Right now I'm reading the book Outliers of Malcolm Gladwell in which he gives examples that the key to achieving world-class expertise in any skill is to a large extent a matter of practicing for a total of around 10,000 hours. I think it's quite uh, interesting. In general, I've recommended the book Yoga and Health of Yesudian to many friends. So it talks a lot about essentials of breathing. It really changed my life as I implemented a lot of the insights and it gives me a lot of energy in my daily life. Maybe as a final point, if anyone listening wants to reach out to you, what would be the best way to do that? Yes, uh, it's, I think, best via LinkedIn. I look forward to hearing from your listeners. Fantastic. Laizong, thank you so much for taking the time and for this wonderful conversation. Yeah, thank you very much, Andrea, for having me here. Um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you're new to the show, I hope you will check out my previous interviews. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any new episode. If you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. For the show notes, please head over to our website, womeninfinancepodcast.com. Thanks again. And until next time, keep well. All opinions expressed by Andrea and her guests are solely personal opinions and do not reflect the opinion of any respective organization. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as basis for investment decisions.